Section 11 of The Bible Under Trial This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ron Altman The Bible Under Trial by James Orr Archaeology as Searchlight, Part 1 I shall not attempt in this brief paper to sketch the history of modern exploration, but shall confine myself to the larger aspects of the subject, in which it may be felt the confirmation of the statements of the Bible is most effectively exhibited. Let us look first at the groupings on the large scale of the peoples and countries of those ancient times, as these are revealed to us by exploration and the Bible. Here the corroborations are extremely striking. The Bible, for instance, pictures all the streams in the distribution of mankind after the flood as proceeding from Babylonia as a center. Genesis 11 Discovery shows that probably all the great civilizations, Assyrian, Egyptian, Canaanitish, even Chinese, took their origin from this quarter. It goes further, and throws a flood of light on the ancient civilizations themselves. The old idea, derived from classical writers, was that Nineveh was older than Babylon, that Babylonian civilization was derived from Assyria, and that both Babylonians and Assyrians were Semites. Now it is ascertained, as the Bible tells us in Genesis 10, verse 8, that civilization in Babylonia goes far back beyond every other, that Assyria was colonized from Babylonia, and that the founders of Babylonian culture, of its letters, laws, institutions, were not Semitic, but a people of different, as we say, Hemetic stock. The very names of the cities in Genesis 10, verse 10, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, Niper, etc., carry us back into the midst of the Babylonia unearthed by exploration. As specific examples, I may take first the case of Elam. The Elam known to history is an Aryan, not a Semitic people, while Genesis 10 verse 22 describes Elam as the eldest son of Shem. Here, apparently, was a mistake. But the French explorers, in their excavations at Susa, came the other year on an older stratum of civilization, which proved to be Semitic. Dr. Peters, in a recent article, sums up the results thus, quote, The French excavations both justify and explain the name. As soon as the Semites had established themselves thoroughly in Babylonia, they spread out into the neighboring plain of Elam, and from the time of the Sargonids, with or a little before when the Semitic primacy was established, 
Elam constituted a part of what one may call the Babylonian Semitic Empire. Next, these Babylonian Semites moved northward and took or built Asher, that is, Assyria, which is in the same list called, in consequence, the second son of Shem. Unquote. Another well-known case, hardly needing to be dwelt on, is that of the Hittites. This great people, described as stretching, quote, from the wilderness and this Lebanon even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, unquote, Joshua 1, verse 4, is frequently referred to in Scripture, for example, Judges 1, verse 26, 1 Kings 10, verse 28-29, 2 Kings 7, verse 6. Yet history, outside the Bible, knew nothing of them, and their existence was scouted as mythical. Now discovery has restored them to view, shown them to be a power hardly less great than Egypt and Assyria themselves, and made known to us their peculiar hieroglyphics, which scholars are yet vainly trying to decipher. Is it by coincidence, I ask, that this wonderful knowledge of peoples and their relations, stretching back, in some cases, millenniums before Abraham, is preserved in Genesis, the oldest parts of which the critics suppose to have taken shape in the ninth or eighth century? Must not older, authentic records be assumed? I look next at the nature of the old traditions of these ancient peoples, as now made known to us by Oriental discovery. If there is any place where one might look with hope for the most ancient traditions of the world, it is in Babylonia. In Babylonia the Bible locates the creation of man, the garden in which he was placed, the building of the ark, the new distribution of the race, etc. Where, then, should the traditions of the oldest things linger, if not in this region? Now, however, as everyone knows, the traditions of these ancient peoples recovered from their own monuments on such subjects as the creation, possibly the temptation, the interpretation is disputed, the Sabbath, the flood, etc., are in our possession, and though debased by polytheism and lacking the high spiritual ideas of the Old Testament, their singular resemblance to the biblical accounts is universally admitted. A few lines from the flood story will illustrate, quoting, On the mountain of Nizer the ship grounded, one day and a second day did the mountain of Nizer hold it. A third day and a fourth day did the mountain of Nizer hold it. A fifth day and a sixth day did the mountain of Nizer hold it. When the seventh day came, I sent forth a dove and let it go. The dove went and returned. A resting place it found not, and it turned back. I sent forth a swallow, and let it go. 
the swallow went and returned, a resting place it found not, and it turned back. I sent forth a raven, and let it go. The raven went, and saw the going down of the waters, and it approached, it waded, it croaked, and did not turn back." Unquote. Here the chief differences are a ship for an ark, and the interpolation of the swallow. The easy explanation which most critics adopted of these resemblances was that the Jews had borrowed their legends from the Babylonians. The Wellhausen school usually put the borrowing late in the history of Israel, much of it in the exile. The favorite view at present is that the Israelites came into possession of the legends through the Canaanites, who are known to have been deeply penetrated from a very early period by Babylonian influences. But there is a prior question about these legends. Were they borrowed at all? Abraham came indeed from Babylonia, and might have brought these stories with him. If he did, it must have been, on the theory, in their crude polytheistic form. But is this likely? Critics forget when they speak of the spirit of revelation using these legends as a vehicle for the conveyance of great religious ideas, that before they could be purified and used, they must have been appropriated. But is it credible that legends so polytheistic and grotesque would at any time be borrowed by the Israelites, or that the work of purifying them, a huge and formidable task, was one that would commend itself to really pious minds? The character of the biblical accounts speaks against this theory of their origin. They can most safely be regarded as an independent and purer branch of the old religious tradition, cognate with the Babylonian, but not immediately derived from it. Part 2 Another very important aid derived from archaeology is the abundant light cast by discovery on the early and familiar use of writing. The service of discovery here can hardly be overestimated. The Bible makes us familiar with writing from the time of the Exodus. It suits critics now to make light of the objection that writing was not known in the age of Moses. But this was formerly an objection very often urged, and defenders of the Bible, like Hengstenberg, had to meet it as best they could by appeal to the hieroglyphics of Egypt, and to stray indications elsewhere. Now no one doubts that for a very long period before Moses, and in his own time, the civilized world was full of writing, of letters, books, and libraries, Writing schools go back in Babylonia to an almost fabulous antiquity. Egypt is not far behind. 
the hieroglyphic character is older than the first dynasty. A book of moral wisdom, much like our own Proverbs, comes down to us from the fifth dynasty. The discovery of the official correspondence of kings of Egypt of the eighteenth dynasty, circa 1400 B.C., at Tel el Amarna, shows that Canaan was at the time saturated with Babylonian culture. Cuneiform Babylonian was, in fact, the recognized official language everywhere. The still later discovery of the great law code of Hammurabi, the Amraphel of Genesis 14, proves that in Abraham's age whole codes of laws were engraved on monuments for public use. Other peoples, the Hittites, Cretans, etc., had their own systems of writing. It was still possible to urge that while Egypt and Babylonia had their own forms of writing, hieroglyphic, cuneiform, there was no evidence of the early use of a kind of writing approaching that met with in the Bible. Even this last form of the objection seems destroyed by a discovery newly made at Sinai by Professor Flinders Petrie. In his book, Researches in Sinai, Professor Petrie tells how, in the course of the explorations at Serebit, specimens were found of a new kind of writing, several centuries older than the Exodus. Quote, the ulterior conclusion, he says, quote, is very important, namely, that common Syrian workmen who could not command the skill of an Egyptian sculptor were familiar with writing at 1500 B.C., and this a writing independent of hieroglyphics and cuneiform. It finally disposes of the hypothesis that the Israelites who came through this region into Egypt and passed back again could not have used writing. Here we have common Syrian laborers possessing a script which other Semitic peoples of this region must be credited with knowing." Unquote. Professor Petrie blends with his interesting facts a number of speculations which it is more difficult to accept. Thus he seeks to get rid of the difficulty of the numbers of the Israelites in the desert by the supposition, based on the fact that the Hebrew words for thousand and family are the same, that in the census list in numbers, the numbers given are not really hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of families. The total is thus reduced to about five thousand, which is all he thinks the desert could support. This difficulty is touched on below. It is perfectly obvious, however, that a host of this size, say two thousand fighting men, did not conquer Canaan. On the other hand, Professor Petrie takes up the defense of the large numbers in the later historical books which have stumbled so many. End of section 11